Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. Job losses, downsizing, right-sizing. Yeah, these are all phrases that in business we've heard many times before. But what is the best way of framing your message to get the right outcome? And what, what, are, what are people doing? What are the, what's marketing doing? What they should, should they be doing in, in looking at that? It's always some of the business speakers always driven me around, driven me nuts, basically. Yeah. Um, the way it they, seems like we're, so. we're constantly reinventing new ways of saying the same things. Uh, and a, a part of that is because it matters. Um, you can express exactly the same information in two different ways and have very different outcomes come from it, uh, even if you haven't changed the underlying structure or the objective values of any of the, the actual information. Uh, let me give you an example. Um, so there's a um, there are all these games that behavioral economists like to get people to play with each other. Um, uh, in terms of or where they give or take money away or, or, you know, all these very specific games. There's one game, um, it's called The Prisoner's Dilemma, and I won't go into the, the details of it, but it's essentially a cooperation game. So how much do you trust the other person? If you trust each other, then you get the best possible outcome. But there's this problem that if the other, if you trust the other person and they kind of defect or cheat, then um, they win big and you lose big. So if you don't trust them, then it's best to kind of cheat. If you do trust them, then it's best to cooperate. Right. So there's been this game has been played over and over again. Uh, the particular study that I was interested in uh, in sharing today, uh, the researchers explained the rules. This is how the game works. This is what you're going to do. It's exactly how it's going to work. Uh, and then in one condition, they called it the community game. Everything else was the same. Just that was the title of the game. In the other condition, they called it the Wall Street game. Uh, right. Any guesses as to which group communicate or um, um, was more likely to cooperate? I would imagine it certainly wasn't the Wall Street game. No, it certainly wasn't. Yeah, it turns out that if you call something the Wall Street game, that encourages people to think a little bit more hard-nosed about things and be less yeah. trusting uh, yeah. and to anticipate that others are going to defect rather than... Uh, co cooperate. So that, that's an example of a framing effect. Go ahead. The Wall Street game, you know what I did? I grabbed my wallet and made sure <laughs> nobody was trying to take it. But you know what? By the time that I had said Wall Street game, it was already too late for you. Yeah. Open your this wallet. Is, it's empty. I've never, been very good at, uh, I've never been very good at Monopoly. That's the problem. Yeah. No, it's true. That's that's one of my major complaints about you, Colin. comes up all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Bad at Monopoly. Um, very so this is an example of a framing effect or framing in general. The idea is you're, you're changing something kind of trivial. Um, it's something that doesn't affect the actual meat, the actual substance. Uh, it comes from this idea that, um, you know, if you take a painting, you can put it in any number of different frames and that can actually change your experience with the painting. So there are certain frames that'll emphasize certain colors or mute certain colors. Uh, if you put it in a real fancy frame, you might take a painting and make it seem um, more valuable or less valuable, depending on the frame that it's in. 
We can do yeah. the same thing with information. So in this case, labeling a game in two different ways causes us to react to it in, in different ways. Right. And therefore, does the... Uh, it, it, so if I'm trying to get somebody to buy something, um, what what would I need to do? Do I... And 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 medium, my my mind immediately went to comparisons. Yep. So one of the big differences between the UK um, and the US, um, and living in both, I see this happening all the time. Uh, in America, there's so many so many comparison. You know, this is a lot better than something. This is, you know, don't buy, our product is so much better than this product. Whereas in England, you don't really see that. Now, whether that's sort of cultural or what, I don't know. But it, there seems to be a lot more negative ways of positioning things. Yeah, so um, the, the, the most common framing that's been studied and that's been implemented is uh, gain versus loss framing um, or, or positive versus negative framing. Uh, and so, the, I mean, the, the short the short takeaway is we'll talk about other types of framing too um, before we let you go. But that that is the most prominent type of framing, and it, oh, pretty overwhelmingly, it's shown that um, gain framing is less effective than loss framing. So if you focus people on what they're going to miss out, um, what they're going to lose, uh, that tends to be more compelling. Um, I mean, they've they've even studied it in politics where yeah. Um, negative campaign ads are more effective. Um, that's part of the reason that everybody does them, even though everybody seems to hate them. Uh, it's because telling people about what they'll lose out if they elect the other guy rather than what they'll gain if they elect you um, is just more effective. People respond to it more. And does that go back to... So one of the previous podcasts that we've done has been on customers' basic instincts. And one of the things that we talked about there was sort of self-protection. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that sort of whole sort of fear bit, I presume that ties back into that basic instinct. Sure. So, I mean, I, I want to draw a distinction. Um, so fear appeals also are effective and also work. Those tend to be more emotional. There can be loss framed um, loss framing that is not rooted in fear appeals. Um, and that also works. And so some of it, I think, can work through kind of this evolutionary goal mechanism, self-protection, and, and you want to, you know, not be, be hurt or injured. Uh, some of that will be routed through a fear appeal. But it, you can also just explain it in a purely kind of emotionless, neutral way that emphasizes the gains versus emphasizes the losses. And it'll be more compelling if you emphasize the losses. Uh, let me give you an example. Um, so suppose that you were, um, you owned the only gas station in a small town, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, you wanted to pass along a credit card surcharge to your customers who used credit cards. And to keep the math easy, let's suppose that roughly half of your customers use credit cards and half of them use cash. Should you price for cash, so that's the sign, what goes up on the big sign, so say it's $3 a gallon, and then yeah. when people get at the pump, there's a small sign that says, hey, um, if you use credit card, there'll be a 5% surcharge. Or do you bake that surcharge into the, the headline price 
And then when people get to the pump says, hey, um, it'll be a, a 5% discount if you use cash. Now, those are two, those two things are numerically equivalent, right? If it says $3 up front and then you get to the pump and it says $3.15 for credit card, or if it says $3.15 up front and then you get to the pump and it says $3 for, for cash, th- that's not about fear. It's not about negative emotion. That's just two different ways of presenting exactly the same information. But which of those two do you think would be better received by people? I would have thought the second. Yes. So if you tell people up front it's going to be three fifteen, and then half of the people get to the pump and discover, oh, it's going to be three dollars less. That is people experiencing gains. Then half the people, the cash customers, are experiencing gains. So that that's a good good thing. A loss framing would be around, um, you know. Uh, expressing it in terms of the $3. And then when they get to the pump, half the people are now experiencing losses, right? So uh, can you, uh, and, and losses are experienced very, very negatively. Um, the, this example, the gas station pricing was, um, I heard it from Dick Thaler, who won a Nobel prize recently. Um, and the way he tells the story, some gas stations did this in the early days of kind of credit card transactions at gas stations. And people were so angry about it that they would, call their Congress people um, and complain about these surcharges. If once they flipped it over and started offering cash discounts, nobody complained, right? It was all the same. Um, And that's about this fact that people experience losses more strongly. So we've had a podcast where we've talked about loss aversion. Yeah. And gain and loss framing is just that. So are we framing things in terms of gains? Are we framing them in terms of, of losses? Why not let Colin and Ryan speak at your next conference? As you can hear, they're great communicators and can get over a message in a simple, inspiring, and humorous way. Contact Beyond Philosophy by going to beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. So the first message is that when we are, we need to think that through, basically, depending on what we're obviously trying to achieve. Yeah, right. Uh, exactly. So, right. I, so it's it's not about changing the product. It may be, but it may be about obviously picking out certain features of the product that that would end in a, a loss or a gain. Very good. Yeah. So, um, I mean, one one of the famous field studies that was run on this, it was a bank in Israel, and they wanted to get people to switch over from using cash to using uh, debit cards. So debit cards are new, and so they sent out letters to all their customers. And randomly, half of the people got a letter that said, hey, here are all the benefits that you get from switching over to a debit card, right? You can track your purchases, you get fraud protection, this and this. The other half of customers got exactly the same letter, but the benefits were all framed in terms of losses if you didn't switch. So if you don't switch over to a debit card, then you don't get fraud protection and you don't get to track your purchases easily. So it was the same information, but when it was framed in terms of losses, um, people were more likely to switch and they spent more on their debit cards after right, getting that message. Interesting. Yeah. It, yeah, it just makes me start to think about all of the, because uh, uh, I've seen loads of signs around recently where particularly when actually gas was starting to become more expensive. Um, so a couple of years ago, um, which were gas stations starting to say it was, you know, they'll, they will, um, do a discount for cash, et cetera, et cetera. And I, obviously that's partly because margins are low and all that yep. type of stuff. But um, so there must be other things that sort of go in, go into that. Yeah. Well. I mean, it's, it's an interesting case, isn't it? Um, a lot of gas stations now 
don't bother to charge different fees. They just kind of bake that the fees into the price for everyone because so many people are buying from credit cards. But if you are getting squeezed as a gas station and you feel like you need to start charging a surcharge to credit card customers, how do you go about it? Well, you know, you may have uncovered one thing that they do, which is they they don't announce the surcharge. They instead announce the cash bonus for yeah. the the cash customers um, and, and get that psychological I, I, benefit. I presume this is where you can start to. So one of the things I know you've you've said before is that, you know, there's never just one thing happening here. Right. You know? um, right. So I presume that and we've talked to you in the past about scarcity. Yeah. Yep. And, and, you know, how scarcity can be a good thing. Uh, because it obviously then makes people want it more. So uh, I guess a loss could be about scarcity, i.e., you know, and, and I think we talked about this, actually. Maybe I'm stealing your thunder. Um, <laughs> so, um, the Disney example uh, of uh, back in... I'll the say Disney back Vault? In, yeah. Yeah. Do you want to tell people about that? Uh, sure. Yeah. So um, uh, one of the aspects of scarcity is this fear of missing out, um, which FOMO, if you're young and cool. Um, and uh, that's definitely a loss idea, right? And so, um, yeah, the Disney used to run this thing where they would have these these DVDs of these classic movies, and they'd only make them available for a limited period of time, you know, six months or a year, and then they would go back into the Disney vault, uh, and you wouldn't be able to buy them for, you know, 8, 10, 12 years. And so you have all these parents of young children who, you know, maybe my child isn't interested in Cinderella or, you know, wouldn't, isn't old enough to appreciate the Jungle Book. But if I don't buy it now, then there's this fear that I'm going to miss out that, that you know, three or four years when my kid is old enough for this, um, I won't have the opportunity to buy it because it's in the Disney vault. That dark and dingy place in the middle That's of right. Disney World somewhere. They, they actually, they had an animation of it. They had a, a cartoon picture, and it was a vault in the shape of Mickey Mouse with the ears. Like, that was the shape of the vault door. Uh, oh, right. so I, I assume that's what it actually looked like. <laughs> I'm sure it is. Yeah. And Pixies went in and out. Yeah, well, clearly. Right? I mean, yeah. Yeah, Tinkerbell, was, <laughs> Tinkerbell was reduced to being a, a drone in a warehouse. That's, uh, Absolutely. Yeah. It makes a big difference to an Amazon warehouse where everything's <laughs> robotic. It's a, <laughs> creates a different image in your mind doesn't it and yet still run on pixie dust not a lot of people know that about amazon warehouses yeah. biggest consumer of pixie dust in the in the world um all right so so that's loss framing but it's not the only yep. way of framing um so let me tell you about a couple others uh, one other type of framing is status quo framing so the idea here is that people tend to um prefer the status quo. If they think that something is the default option, then a lot of times they'll just go with that. Um, so there's one famous example um, uh, by a guy named Eric Johnson in, at Columbia, where they, they looked at uh, organ donation rates in, in countries in Europe and in countries where it was an opt-in system. So where the default was, we're going to assume you don't want to donate your organs, but if you want to check this box, yep. um, it, donation rates were very low. They were kind of comparable to the U.S., which also has very low donation rates. In countries where the default was opt-out, so in other words, where it was an opt-out system, so the default was we assume you want to donate your organs. If you don't want to, check this box. Uh, organ donation rates were in the high 90s in all of those countries. Um, 
Similar example, um, uh, also by Eric Johnson, who's done a lot of work in this area. Uh, but they looked at, um, so there, there, there's a problem in the U.S. where people sue too often um, when they get into car accidents. Right. Um, and so there have been various things that lawmakers have done to try to um, curb that. But one of the things they've done is they've said, all right, well, you can you can get two tiers of auto insurance. Um, one tier is kind of a basic tier and it's cheaper, but that means that you have a limited ability to sue in the event of an accident. Or you can pay more for more robust insurance and, and that preserves more of your rights to sue other people for car accidents. Um, two states that share a border, Pennsylvania and New Jersey, both adopted different, um, or both adopted the same system, but they made different options the default. So in Pennsylvania, the default option was the, the more robust, like I'm going to preserve my rights to sue, but I could opt in for the cheaper one. In New Jersey, the default option was the cheaper one, but I could opt into the more expensive. And in Pennsylvania, 75% of people chose the more expensive option. In New Jersey, only 20% of the people chose the more expensive option. Oh. There's no reason to think that Pennsylvania citizens and citizens of New Jersey really have very strongly different opinions about what's the best kind of auto insurance. Sure. Just making something the default makes people more likely to choose it. Yeah. No, absolutely. And it's interesting about the um, the uh, organ donor one because the UK has just changed. Uh, oh, yeah. Have they? Yeah, so just changed this, so it to be the this default. This would be their, um, <clears throat> excuse me, their behavioral science division uh, yeah. within the UK government. Yeah. Yeah. I've only got one leg left now. <laughs> <laughs> you, you forgot to opt out, Colin. You I didn't did. check that well, box. I only checked it half, so they only took one leg. Well, the, the good news is you should be able to get another one uh, in the UK. You never know. It's just going to be probably a lot more than my existing one. Which I, has, has any data come back yet? Have they have they seen no, increase in actual happened. rates yet? Or no, just, just 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 happened. So I'm not no. not aware of any um, not aware of anything yet. Yeah, that'll be exciting to watch. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm a big you proponent. Said there was a, you said there was another one. Another um, yes. So uh, I'll, I'll share just one more um, kind of in the interest of time. But this one I think is really, really cool. Um, it's really fun. So uh, this one's uh, uh, called um, opportunity cost framing. Uh, so there's this idea in economics um, of the opportunity cost. And the idea is that anytime you make a decision, you make it by weighing that decision against the other things you could have done with that time or that money. So by listening to this, podcast you are giving up on other things you could have done with this time um, like watching reruns of i love lucy or running a 5k sure right you could have done better things you could do with your time dear listener then listen to us <laughs> or then watch i love lucy because if you are besmirching the good name of lucille ball colin i'm gonna have I to catch you off right i would do that okay, i would get back into america good. um so that this is assumed to be the way that we make decisions if that's the case, then pointing out opportunity costs shouldn't affect decisions. Um, so uh, the the researcher who who uh, developed this idea and and did research on it is a guy named Shane Frederick. And the story uh, that he told in terms of how he came up with this idea was he was buying, I think it was a stereo system, and he was considering two models. One of them was was cheaper, and one of them was more expensive. And he wasn't sure whether to try it or not. And the salesperson came over and talked to him and, um, and he said, Hey, you know, if you buy the, uh, the cheaper unit, then you can use that extra $50 to buy CDs for your, 
uh, sound system. Right. This should not have affected his decision making. Uh, Shane Frederick has a PhD. He's, he's a professor at Yale University. He is well aware that if one option costs $50 less, he would in fact be saving that $50 and knowing how money works, he could use that $50 to buy CDs, right? That, that provided no information, but it was persuasive. It caused him to choose to buy the cheaper option. So pointing out the opportunity costs can influence decisions. So they, they ran several studies on this. Um, and a lot of times just reminding people that the more expensive option was more expensive by a certain amount and that that money can be used to buy other goods and services was enough to get them to switch to buying the cheaper option. So pointing out the opportunity um, changes things, even though it shouldn't. Training your frontline team on how to create memories in your customers by evoking their emotions. Beyond Philosophy's unique and proven training methodology, Memory Maker Training. Contact Beyond Philosophy by going to beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. And, and I think that just goes back to one of the whole themes of this um, uh, podcast, which is customers are not logical. Uh, yeah. they, don't, they don't do what you think they're going to do. And you really have to think this stuff through. That's right. Okay, um, so I think we um, I think we need to sort of round this round this up. But let me let me just um, go back and go. So what? Yeah. So I guess the so what for me is that you shouldn't just uh, pick out the feature of your product uh, and you know just say this is twenty percent faster than that. Mind, mind you, actually that's not a bad example of gaining or or a loss. Maybe you should do. <laughs> Um, but you need to think about the message, I guess, is what I'm I'm trying to say. You need to think about the message and whether it is a gain or a loss or whether it's, um, uh, as Ryan's just talked about, in the sort of status quo um, or whether, you know, you should be how you should be framing the message, because that can have a really, really big effect. I, I, I'm going to ask you a difficult question now. It's just popped into my mind, Ryan. Yeah. I presume you don't know if any one of those three are more effective than any of the others. I mean, the one that sticks out for me is the the gains and losses because that yeah. that ties back into that whole sort of prospect theory and where you see it sort of coming on with in political adverts and so many uh, things like that. So, do any of those? Is there been any research which goes well? Which of those is more effective? Uh, I'm not aware of any. Uh, I I would say that it probably depends. Right, that's my my nice academic hedge on this stuff. Sure. I think that it, it probably depends uh, on some specifics of the situation. Um, if I were to guess, uh, loss aversion is the most reliable thing I know of in psychology. I, th I think that it's, that would be my best bet for anything. So I, I would start there, but then, um, but then, yeah, it may be different in your specific context. So experiment. Cool. So, um, thanks very much for listening. Um, if you've enjoyed this podcast, we would really appreciate it if you could either leave a review or tell a friend. And if you don't do that, you're going to be fined a thousand dollars. That's uh, right. No, no. <laughs> a little bit of framing effect thrown in at the end there. Um, but no, you won't be. I don't know if I'd call that a framing effect so much as just a threat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, those are also effective in case you're. Wondering Very. what what motivates people. 
threats <laughs> with a club. Those are very effective. Good. I should remember science, that. Sorry. Science has proven. <laughs> okay. Talk to you um, next week. Thanks very All right. much. Bye, everybody. This has been the Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer. <laughs>